Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We're going to be interrupting our series on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Because of the current circumstances in our world, with the war that is ongoing over in Ukraine, um, we thought it important to have some conversations with people that are directly involved in either serving there or having had served or had much uh, experience there to talk to us about uh, just the spiritual implications, the humanitarian implications, and uh, ways people can make a difference. So uh, I'm here with Tina Bruner, my co-host of the Common Crown Unity podcast. And uh, before we get started with Tina, you, you may not know this, but um, Tina is currently in Poland and has, in fact, recorded several of our last podcasts from Poland. Uh, she's the executive director of Global Connection, formerly a world convention. Um, they've just renamed that entity that serves churches of Christ and Christian churches and, uh, and does ministry, trying to, trying to bring folks together from all these streams to do good works. And they were getting ready for their... Uh, global convention in Warsaw, Poland, when uh, Mr. Putin invaded Ukraine, and everything has since changed. So, Tina, welcome. Um, I feel like I'm interviewing you more than co-hosting with you on this one. Tell us a little bit about what you're experiencing um, and, and what's going on there where you are, and a little bit about what you've learned and what you're doing. Well, I am really glad to be able to share what I'm seeing. Um, I did come here to get ready for the 20th Global Gathering and uh, was excited for the shift that World Convention made to um, try to expand what our reach would be in ways that we could serve the church. And so Global Christian Connection came into being. And so all of the things that we have had planned around launching Global Christian Connection and all of that is really just shifted. And, you know, flexibility is the key to sanity at the moment. So, <laughs> um, but uh, we are still waiting for a final decision on the conference, which I feel pretty sure we're going to put on hold. But the Polish uh, pastors are getting together early next week just to talk through. We've all been praying 
Um, there are lots of people who think it's the best time and other people who think it's the worst time. So we'll try to see um, what what we discern together. But in the process of being here, the war started and I am in a little town in the south east part of, of Poland. And so I'm working with the ministry called Proem Ministries and they're doing a really great work here. But um, I never... I've been in Ukraine many times, but I never thought that I would like be going into Ukraine as a driver of a van with supplies, which I did early last week. Um, the needs are incredible. Uh, when you think about there's been over 2 million people leave Ukraine, 115,000 of them are what we would consider double refugees. So they had relocated to Ukraine as refugees and then had to flee as refugees. So um, I think Poland has had a million and a half or so. I think they're getting about 80,000 a day. So one thing I noticed um, when I went to the border, I've served in a lot of places where there have been wars and people needing to flee. But in every situation except this one, on the border, there are camps that start to pop up. But here... They are, there are only welcome centers. So people cross the border. Some of them had to wait early on. They had to wait four days in their car or they had to walk across the border. And it's mostly women and kids. And um, But once they get across the border, there's all these services that not it's not government. It's kind of churches, organizations, individuals that are feeding people. They're connecting them with rides to different places. This group from Pro-M goes down once or twice a day and picks people up at the border that either we hear about through friends or, or someone from the Welcome Center calls and says, there's a lady and three kids. One of them's really sick. We're trying to find a placement for them. And so they just go down and get them. So, I mean, it's it really has been... Um, eye-opening to see the amount of generosity of people in not just this context, but I was in Warsaw on Sunday and the church that I met in, half the, the sanctuary or half the auditorium was full of mattresses, food, baby food, diapers. So people are bringing stuff from everywhere. Companies are donating things. And for the evangelical church in Poland, this is an amazing opportunity because there's such a small percentage of um, the population. This is a primarily Catholic country. And so this is a ch chance for Christian churches, churches of Christ, evangelical churches to really take on a leadership role in meeting the needs um, that are so prevalent right now. So that's been a, a really encouraging thing to see that there are people in the community that were suspicious of our churches, and now they're bringing things because they know the churches will actually help people. So that's been really a silver lining of this. Tell us a little bit about your trip into Ukraine um, and, and what, what you took and, and what you experienced there. Yeah. Um, first of all, we were praying like crazy that we could find an easy path out because at that time the the line of cars was so long. I was thinking, you know, we could be stuck quite a while. So, um, but there was a women's shelter in Rivna that needed supplies. There were 80 women and their kids 
ages one to five. And so they didn't have, they were running low on food, but diapers, basic medicines, um, a lot of the kids are sick. And even once they get to their placements, whether they're staying in a Polish family's home or uh, here, there's a camp facility uh, retreat center that they're staying at. I mean, so many people are sick with cold and flu type things. So we packed up a cargo van and we had a Ukrainian brother with us and a Polish believer and me, and we filled up the cargo van with as much as we could cram in it. And um, we had food, we had uh, powdered milk, we had different kinds of baby food, formula, things like that. And so we drove four and a half hours and it was really interesting to see how open um, people at the border were to help facilitate getting us across. So um, we ended up meeting uh, some church leaders from Ukraine on the other side, maybe just 10 minutes past the border. And we unloaded all the supplies. We prayed over it with those brothers. Um, and then we, the Ukrainian guy stayed on the Polish side because he didn't want to be stuck in Ukraine. Um, so the Polish guy and I um, unloaded the materials with them, prayed over them, and then started our way back. And we made it across the border in three hours on the way back, which was insane. But along the way, we saw and got to talk to several people who were in line. The Polish and Ukrainian language is enough similar. Maybe they can understand 20 to 30 percent. So we were just trying to communicate what we could. Everything that anything we had in the car, in the van, that was like our personal snacks or water that we had taken. We took all that out and gave it to different people in the line. There were so many uh, buses that were waiting. And there were, one guy here said, Oh, look, COVID has been canceled (laughs) because everybody's so crammed together. It's like, nobody's worrying about COVID. They're just trying to get out. So the buses were full, like people in the aisles, like two, three people in two seats. I mean, it was overwhelming to just see so many elderly women, kids, um, just trying to leave. And then knowing that some of the people that left, they they left their husbands or sons. Other ones left elderly parents or grandparents that just couldn't travel. So, so it's been like those stories are hard. But then also we, um, I'm connected with the Global Missions Health Conference and they have 30,000 people in their network. And um, they set up a group where they can help coordinate coordinate medical uh, needs and opportunities, supplies, things like that to be able to get them into Ukraine. So there's a lot of that happening too, which is, you know, the church is doing what it can, what it knows to do. And um, so it's been a real encouragement. You're, you're there in Poland and that nation has absorbed the, the, the most of these refugees that are coming in, and I know there must be a sense of almost being overwhelmed. I think people have looked at, at Poland and just been inspired by their willingness to take people in. Um, to the degree that you know, what's the experience of a refugee coming in and from that point finding a way forward 
if that's something you can speak to. Well, I think a lot of them are hoping that this is over soon and they can go back. So when um, there are churches in Finland, in Holland, in Germany that are connecting with churches here saying, we have space, we'll take some of the refugees. And when that's presented to them, they don't want to go farther. They want to be close enough where they can go home. And I think that's unlikely anytime soon. And so that's that's really hard, just watching them try to come to grips with what will their future look like. Tina, can you give me just kind of a rough estimate of how many churches, how many congregations are you working with in that particular region that's kind of pulling together to do some good things there? Yeah, in Poland, there's a network of uh, Christian churches and churches of Christ that um, there's probably about 70 in their network, and they are all working together. Now, if you're a Christian over here on on this side, I'm I'm sitting here in Southern California in the United States, and we have so many, you know, brothers and sisters wondering, how can we make a difference in, in this particular crisis and in this time and in the lives of these folks what are some of the best ways that uh, individuals and churches can make a difference and get involved? I think the number one thing is to pray. You know, the Polish people have been so generous. The churches are being so sacrificial, but there is going to be fatigue that comes soon with just the influx of the just the massive amounts of people and their needs. And so that the church can continue to be the bride of Christ here and um, can support one another. And um, so, and, and pray for the Ukrainian believers that are here and they are trying to plug in to ministering to their people. Um, there's a, at the camp property retreat center, they have uh, every night at seven thirty they have a prayer meeting. So there's 200 people at the retreat center and about 40 people per night go and together to pray together. So Ukrainian believers are also leading right now. And so if you could pray for those that are experiencing this firsthand and also trying to minister to other people, I think that would be helpful. Um, Global Christian Connection will have uh, different ministries that are serving here, different church connections on our website. So Global Christian Connection spelled with an X dot org. Um, and you can find um, organizations that are working in on the front lines here and, and support them. And we'll keep things updated on there about ways people can pray as well. Tina, thank you. Uh, I said Global Connection at the start. Our, our, I'm getting used to your the new name of the organization. But yeah. for our listeners, again, what, what was uh, formerly and for many years, World Convention has been renamed Global Christian Connection. And again, the website is uh, globalchristianconnection.org, connection with an X, and opportunities there. And you can keep up with Tina's work. Um, you may not have known, I think we've said it, um, listeners, unless you listen to our interview with Tina, um, she serves in that role. And boy, there's some important things happening in that part of the world. So Tina, so uh, Please, that you could kind of take your co-host hat off and share with us out of your experience and ministry there. We've got a couple of other guests as well that uh, we're going to have conversations with. And I say we, 
Uh, John Teal is the producer of our Common Grounds Unity podcast, and you know, he's behind the scenes and with us on every podcast that we do. Uh, he he kind of took that producer hat off and had some conversations himself with a couple of people in that part of the world, and we're going to introduce those. So, Tina, would you set up the first conversation, and then I'll set up the second? Sure. I'm really excited that Eric Trigestad made time to talk with us. He is the president and CEO of the Christian Chronicle, and he has been on one of our podcasts, so go back and check that out. But he is reported in over 64 countries and really closely connected with uh, the situation in Ukraine. So uh, here's some thoughts from Eric. Thank you for coming out of the podcast to discuss the tragedy in Ukraine. As president and CEO of the Christian Chronicle, I know you are staying close to the situation and reporting on this crisis. The current estimate is over 2.8 million people have fled the country because of Putin's war. What are you hearing and how are you seeing the church responding to meet the need? Well, thank you. Yes, I'm been blessed to go to Ukraine uh, four times on reporting trips. So uh, this is a personal story to me. You know, I know the faces and the names and uh, some of the greatest people that you'll ever meet are uh, among the churches of Christ there in the Ukraine. Eastern Ukraine in particular was kind of just as Ukraine was kind of the breadbasket of the Soviet Union back in the day. Eastern Ukraine had become kind of the Bible belt of churches of Christ in Ukraine. We estimate there may have been more congregations there, you know, um, 70 to 100 congregations at least uh, in that region alone, and church members in the thousands, possibly more church members concentrated there than in the rest of Europe put together at one point because they'd been so receptive to the gospel. So um, it's important to realize, though, when all of this started, when there was the buildup of Russian forces on the border, if you ask the Ukrainians, you know, are you worried about an invasion? They would be very quick to cut you off there and say, no, no, no. The invasion happened in 2014. This is a continuation of a hostility that started uh, when Ukraine removed its pro-Russian president uh, in the the Maidan uh, revolution, they called it, uh, of 2014. And then soon after that, some of the folks in Crimea uh, responded to that and were were more pro-Russian, and Russia took that as an opportunity to seize the Crimean Peninsula which is a place I'd been to a gospel meeting there. I'd seen baptisms by a guy named Sasha Propachuk, one of our ministers. Uh, He did a a gospel conference there, did baptisms in the Black Sea. That is flying the Russian flag now and has been since 2014. Then soon after that, there were uprisings of pro-Russian separatists in the Donbass region, which is where we had tons of churches of Christ. And uh, they seized church buildings because there's a religious element to this conflict. The pro-Russian separatists... The Russian forces uh, 
view the Russian Orthodox Church in many ways as kind of like the only legitimate religion, and it's got tied up in a lot of Russian nationalism. So buildings of Churches of Christ were seized in 2014, 2015, uh, and used as barracks. Uh, we got a picture of somebody walking through the former home of the Petrovsky Church of Christ in Donetsk, carrying a giant mortar around on his, on his shoulder, which is unbelievable. This is happening in a, in a church building. Um, so that created the beginning of a diaspora effect that is only amplified now. And a lot of these folks, especially the women and children, had moved from the East over into the West. And now they're moving out of Ukraine entirely and across the border into the neighboring countries, Hungary, Romania, Poland, uh, Slovakia, and then continuing West from there. So we're seeing a, a just a sped up version of the same diaspora effect that's been going on there since 2014. Uh, it's devastated churches in the east uh, of Ukraine. But what we see, and this is what we see time and time again, when these bad things happen, um, God uses things that are intended for bad for good. And we see that happening across Ukraine. I can tell you story after story of the way that the refugees from the conflict in 2014 and on moved into other parts of the country. There is even one in a, in a little town called Poltava, I believe, uh, of a minister came in from the east. He was he was run out of his home, started worshiping with a church there, found out the church had split over uh, an issue that he kind of thought was really not worthy of splitting over. This guy was the catalyst that brought that church back together, and it began growing again. And we saw the way that, again, these eastern uh, Ukrainians, mostly Russian speakers, mostly more ethnically Russian, I would say, uh, and, and Russian speaking Christians have gone into other parts of Ukraine and revitalized and brought growth to these churches because they were on fire for the Lord back home. And this, they, they continued to do that. And honestly, what's a little bit exciting to see right now, just the reports I got uh, from the most recent Sunday services going on across Europe. Uh, one place, it's a little uh, country retreat area outside of Paris, France. Well, they've they've had eight or ten Ukrainians there, more coming, and they showed a picture from their worship service on Sunday. And even though this is a terrible time, what's going on now, they said, this is four times as many people as we have in a typical Sunday. And there was another part of France where I saw pictures of a home group worshiping uh, in, in Sopo, uh, Poland, which is up on the Baltic Sea. I think not too far from Gdansk, uh, there is a Church of Christ there that is housing something in the neighborhood of 50 refugees in its facility right now. And so these congregations in Eastern and soon to be in Western Europe, uh, they may be overflowing with Ukrainians here. Uh, and again, so we're seeing God's people come together. There are relief efforts, of course, going on uh, for those refugees. My own congregation in Oklahoma City has put together some relief uh, in buckets that we're sending over there. And um, there are groups that have stayed within Kiev and some of the other parts uh, or Western and Lviv. Uh, and they are making relief trips as far east as they can go to drop off supplies for the churches that are kind of hunkered down there and to bring back the women and children. Most of the Ukrainian men are staying to fight, uh, but the women and children are, are the ones mostly who are crossing the border. And you've seen the, the horrific, you know, videos of these, some children crossing by themselves going into uh, Eastern Europe. 
and more of our churches are responding and having folks put down there at the border to meet these guys as they come across and to get them set up. Uh, and uh, we're desperately trying to find ways to get funds and resources into Ukraine itself so that they can continue to help folks. Uh, we don't know anything about uh, banking there. This is very sketchy right now. Um, and the resources are, are kind of dwindling. So the situation there isn't getting any better. But, uh, you know, I was just watching a, a World War Two documentary, uh, Band of Brothers. I was watching the final episode of that the other day. And uh, they talked to a veteran who said, you know, my son asked me, my grandson asked me if I was a hero in the war. And I told him, no, but I served in the company of heroes. And when I see what our brothers and sisters in Ukraine uh, are doing right now, I just kind of have that same thought that we are really serving in the company of heroes. Uh, Sasha Propachuk, the guy I mentioned earlier, is in Kiev sending out these YouTube messages to the Russian army to say, you know, lay down your guns. You may think you're betraying your country if you're doing that, but I'll tell you what betrayal is. Uh, betrayal is taking up arms against your, your brothers and sisters and cousins because of the close relationship. You know, that's what's fueled a lot of this for, for Vladimir Putin, I think, is to say, well, this the, Ukraine is really part of Russia and should be part of Russia. And you guys are our cousins. And Sasha Propachuk is saying to those Russian soldiers, he's absolutely right. We are your cousins. That's why you shouldn't be coming in here with guns. And, and that's what real betrayal is. And God doesn't do this. So um, we do serve in the company of heroes over there in Ukraine right now. Amen to that. Can you talk to us a little bit about the needs and the church's response and how our listeners can help? Well, the number one need over there right now is going to be money for these refugees. We have a lot of people, and even my own congregation, has working on a project to get buckets of supplies to send over there. That almost needs sending actual stuff from the United States right now probably needs to be viewed as more of a phase two. Uh, this is not a disaster happening in a country like, say, Haiti or a place where resources are limited to begin with. Europe tends to have more of that available, but it is the money that is really what's needed right now. And there are several organizations, um, the Sunset International Bible Institute, they had a school in Kiev. They're kind of operating in exile now in Poland. Uh, they've been doing a lot to help resettle refugees. Healing Hands International. Um, Jeremiah's Hope. There are several that are listed at the Christian Chronicles website. If you'll go to christianchronicle.org, we've got a post on there, Ukraine crisis, how to help. And we list some of the ministries that we know and trust uh, and some of the churches that are taking up individual funds for that. So that's really the immediate need right now. I've had several people contact me in the United States and say, uh, I want to house Ukrainian refugees in my home uh, in the United States. And that's great. That's noble. Uh, it's just a little early right now. I believe we're just starting to get some programs opened up. We've heard a few examples of people who've translated for mission tr uh, teams when they've been over there. They've been able to get the translator to come out. You have to have a, a U.S. sponsor to do that. It's a little complicated. So I'd say most immediate need right now would be money. Secondary need would be get with a group like Healing Hands International who are going to be sending actual relief supplies over there. And then third is when it comes to this, uh, when Ukrainian refugees start to stream more thoroughly into the United States, uh, be ready to open your homes. Uh, but that is, that's still going to be down the line a little bit from where we are. now. Right. Well, I think the other thing that we can do is be praying for them too. Of course. And maybe as we close out here, 
and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that you did. Would you mind praying for the people in Ukraine and in Europe right now? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the, the technology that binds us together. And through this terrible crisis in Ukraine, one of the things I'm most thankful for right now is the fact that the Internet has stayed on that we live in an age when I can contact you know, someone in the midst of this terrible conflict and hear back from them almost instantly. I pray that that will just continue to be the case. And I pray that you will uh, continue to, to hold up the arms of these brave Ukrainian brothers and sisters right now who are facing terrible threats. We pray for an end to this conflict and for peace. And we pray for justice as well, Father. We pray for uh, a change in the heart of uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, and and a sudden realization, God, that this is just not helping anyone in any way, uh, that this is needless, that this is pointless, and this is futile. And please help bring about peace as quickly as possible, and also justice, so that those who have been wronged will be able to see that you are a good God and that you deliver on your promises. But help us to also realize that this is not the end, Father, that whatever happens, we know that we will all be together with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters one day. And we pray for that day. We pray for you to come quickly, Lord. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your time and all your efforts to help meet the need. You bet. Appreciate that you're doing this. Well, we so appreciate uh, Eric being able to take the time to speak to John. Now we're going to uh, let you listen in on, on a conversation between John and Andy Fleming. Uh, we've had Andy on this podcast before. Andy and his wife, Tammy, um, have served internationally for many years uh, as evangelists and women's minister in the ICOC, the International Churches of Christ. And many of those years, they were in the former Soviet Union, having uh, served in Moscow. And then in recent years, uh, they have been in Kiev in Ukraine. Um, th there's There are many Christians in the ICOC there, um, some pretty large congregations of brothers and sisters. Uh, there, Andy and his wife have left the country, but I understand their son-in-law is still there. So we're going to let you listen in now to a conversation between uh, John and Andy. Well, Andy, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak to our CGU podcast listeners. And I'm sorry that it's under these circumstances. Yesterday, I saw that the UN currently estimates that more than 2.8 million people have fled the Ukraine because of Putin's war. A few days ago, you and your family were in your home in Kyiv, and now you too are among those forced to evacuate the country. So maybe you could share with us a little bit about how you and your family are doing and um, those that you're close to. Mm. Well, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, yeah, this has been probably one of the most difficult times, well, for sure, the most difficult time my family's ever faced. Uh, that's saying something. I was living in Moscow in 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, and uh, Gorbachev was taken, put under house arrest 
400 tanks rolled into the city and uh, yeah, everything changed. Yeah, it's interesting to see what's happening right now because none of us expected this. It's the level of, well, the lack of compassion for human life from a nation that really is a, you know, a cousin, you know, it, it, and there's so much, so many of the people I know have relatives that live in Russia and so many of the Russians I know have relatives that live in Ukraine. I mean, this is unbelievable that it's happening. And uh, yeah, so, uh, so our family's caught up in it. My wife and I are retired and we decided to make our base of operations. We do a fair bit of traveling and teaching. We are based in Kiev and live actually in the same building as my daughter, son-in-law, and grandson. And so um, we woke up on the uh, the day after the de- the you know, invasion was declared. We woke up to our building shaking to explosions, and uh, then went then spent the next night in our bomb shelter. But it's not really truly a bomb shelter. It's just the basement of the building. Uh, the natural gas line is predominantly running through this whole basement to mm. go into the building. We stayed a night in there. There's only one entrance and there was about 70 people in there and it had a dirt floor. Like I said, it was just a, it was clean, but uh, the uh, toilet facilities was a pail. And we, we just decided after the first night that we would uh, go to my, uh, daughter and son-in-law's apartment and go into their inner corridor and we just all camp there which we did for the next six nights just praying that nothing significant would happen outside of our house uh, they they had built anti-tank shelters uh, just on the road literally 300 meters from our building was mm-hmm. uh, one of the entry points into the real city of kiev so um, you know we watched all this developing uh, yes, it's been one of the most tragic things. And so my wife and I basically uh, put it into the hands of our children. What what do you think we should do? And to be honest, I think uh, we had a kind of a cute conversation with my daughter. We took her to the former Soviet Union when she was just barely two years old. And so she said, well, I feel kind of guilty and responsible that you guys are here. And I said, well, you know, you're here because we brought you here 30 years ago. So uh you fell in love with a Ukrainian and got married and you, you know, she's a fluent Russian speaker and, and pretty good with Ukrainian. And it's just like, uh, you're here because of us. Uh, so anyway, we kind of laughed a little bit, but then we just said, you know, what is going to be best? Our son-in-law cannot leave. And I think m- removing his, his son and uh, my daughter out of the equation and ourselves probably was the best thing we could do to serve him and, and take that, away from him having to worry about it when he's out doing his service because he 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 needed to go report to the military 29 years old he's already served but he needed to report and uh, uh, basically um, he, he told them look I just want to help with humanitarian things I do not want to bear a weapon and they asked him why well, do you have any experience with weapons and uh, he said no and because he'd been trained as a fireman in his military service, and they said, well, we really don't want you bearing a weapon either. Uh, we have enough volunteers as it is. And so uh, he's not the only one. A number of young men disciples have reported for duty saying we don't want to bear arms. We just want to serve. 
in another capacity. And as far as I know, every one of those people that's gone forward that way has been accepted. Mm. So uh, there's a level of volunteerism in Ukraine where uh, they're not trying to push 17 year old 17 year olds out there with guns. They're actually just saying they, they have not they have not needed to go beyond the volunteers at this mm. point in time. And uh, we all know that uh, the Ukrainian forces are just doing an amazing job defending their country. So it's so sad. I mean, the, the whole thing is sad. I personally love and know many, many Russian people. We lived in Russia for eight years. Uh, I know many Russians have Ukrainian relatives. I know many Ukrainians have Russian relatives or, you know, they're, they're, they're so intermixed. I don't know of any person on the ground that, that is happy about this at all. But we also all understand that what's happening is beyond any of our ability to change as far as the, this decision to invade. So, you know, my family, we uh, got on a train seven days after the uh, war had begun and um, were almost hit by a rocket. A missile flew over our train. I actually saw the orange streak trail of the missile mm. 200 meters above our train go into the hotel beside the train station. Luckily, the hotel was evacuated, but uh, uh, if it had hit the train station, it would have killed thousands of people oh just my. with one strike there because the people were thronging uh, for various destinations. But just as amazing as people were leaving Kiev, many people were coming into Kiev. And uh, my son-in-law, who's been helping right now with humanita humanitarian efforts for the past couple of weeks, he's, uh, he's, he's remarked that the trains aren't empty coming into Kiev that are taking away the e evacuation. The people that are evacuating, the trains are bringing in men from all over the country to protect the capital. So it's actually, uh, it is amazing. This is a very sad way to show, you know, support for a nation. Sad because it's tra tragic is the right word. It's just the whole thing is tragic. And we just pray for as, you know, a quick a resolution to everything as possible. But, you know, we feel this, uh, we came across, um, there's been so many outpourings of love. And I know that, uh, you know, people are donating to various charities that are working with Hope Worldwide and others. And uh, thousands of dollars already have gone to help people get medicine, to get food, to get, uh, you know, evacuation ready to, uh, you know, a funeral has happened. A, a, a mother of one of the disciples in the Kev church just needed uh, extra money for that. And, you know, these kind of needs so far, I don't know of any needs that aren't being met. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what is, what is going on. And, uh, but, you know, I am so proud of the tenacity, the, the sacrifice, desire of the Ukrainian people. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a tragic, it's just a tragic thing that just rips our, rips our hearts out. But we came on this train, we met a, uh, a, a Ukrainian woman who had naturalized, uh, become a, a British citizen married a British guy um, and had two children. And just with the how things work, she had taken those two British citizens, citizens and herself to visit her mother in the middle of the Ukraine. 
and all this happened. Oh my! And her mother doesn't speak any English. And they had a one of the little kids was two years old, one was eight years old, and so we saw our families joined together. And uh, a family member of mine, when they heard we'd got on the train successfully, went ahead and booked us a hotel in Budapest for two weeks. Well, we didn't actually need it because we have really good friends in Budapest who'd already got an apartment ready for us. But this family had nowhere to go and no way to set things up. So we were able to send that family right into that hotel and they're actually still there. They'll be there for another couple of days. And uh, Britton and our grandson, they went into the city uh, from the reception point on the Ukrainian border. And I was able to stay another 12 hours to make sure that the, the Ukrainian grandmother who had to process all of her documents uh, could get everything done and then be reunited to her family. And so I, I, I watched three more waves of refugees come in and the reception we got at the Ukrainian, uh, the Hungarian border was absolutely amazing. But no, I'm just, you know, in this very dark moment, there's been, uh, the good side of humanity has also been just showing in an amazing, amazing way. That's incredible. You also, you mentioned uh, Hope Worldwide. Can you tell us a little bit, like if people want to help, what can they do and what, what are the needs? Well, you know, there, if you go to the Hope Worldwide website, that you'll, it'll be right up on the front of it about how to help. And what Hope, Hope Worldwide is, helping create uh, networks. And of course, they're just one of many. I mean, like there's, you know, <laughs> there's millions of people coming out, right? But um, Hope is definitely the network which is working with the disciples coming out of the Ukraine, uh, you know, as a priority, but they're definitely helping who else they can as well. But yeah, I would just encourage people to help. But I do want to say this. So, you know, I, I grew up in the Churches of Christ and a little church in Ontario, uh, I hope they don't mind me you know, bragging about them a little bit, but uh, a little congregation uh, sent uh, a significant sum of money just to help with the church in Ukraine. And so uh, wow. uh, help for the benevolence. And I, I was just so touched. Uh, people have reached out and uh, it's just very, you know, it's bringing people together in a very special way despite the fact that it's the most tragic thing I've ever experienced in my life. Yes. Well, maybe we can end our time here uh, with you leading us in a prayer for uh, the Ukrainian people and for all the efforts that are being made. Thanks, John. Our dear Father in heaven, we are coming before you to just beg for a quick end to this conflict. Uh, Father, the intricacies of politics are beyond our understanding, to be honest. But Father, we do know that uh, you are against violence and aggression, uh, yet you are a God of peace and a God of order. And uh, Father, I know that every earthly authority will one day give account to you for how they used that authority. Father, sometimes the, the account is given even right now. And Father, I just pray that, uh, I pray that the Ukrainian nation can be restored, uh, that this aggression will quit, uh, I pray that reparations will be made. I pray that peace will be had. And I pray, Father, that really what I believe is the desires of the peoples of these two nations be fulfilled. 
And that is to live at peace, Father, to, to live at peace with each other and with the world around them. I just pray that, that especially churches, Father, can be bound together at this time and, and set a great example of what it means to be brotherly across every line of diversity and division. But Father, we pray for those who are suffering. I pray for those that have felt the need to flee. I pray you'll watch over them, guide their steps. I pray for those that have stayed, that you'll really protect them and watch over them. I pray, Father, for something of Old Testament proportions to to take place, uh, to change uh, the Russian government's position in all of this. Amen. And uh, Father, I, I leave that to you, but I just really, I ask that, that something transformative takes place. And uh, Father, help us as people to live at peace with each other. Help us as nations to live at peace with each other. But uh, Father, we know that every person is on your heart. Uh, It doesn't matter what side of any political line they stand on, Father, that you love every person. You respect every person. And uh, Father, you want the best for each person. I really pray that we can imitate you in that in all that we do. Well, thank you for John. Thank you for the Common Grounds uh, website and and efforts. And I really pray that you will help us to find a common ground in our shared likeness of the divine image, but also in our shared faith in Jesus Christ, that, Father, we can really work together to bring honor and glory to you. Father, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on and talking to our listeners. We really appreciate your time. Pray that God is with you and your family and uh, everybody in Ukraine. Thank you. Thanks, John. Well, Tina, uh, we're praying for you. We're thankful to Andy, thankful to Eric for giving us their time Uh, We know our listeners have been blessed and more informed uh, by these conversations. We're praying for you, Tina, and and what you're doing over there. Anything you'd like to close us out with as far as uh, thoughts? You know, we're we're often overwhelmed in circumstances like this. What would you maybe say as a word of encouragement to people that are feeling a little bit overwhelmed and wondering, how can I make a difference? Yeah, I think the thing that has stood out to me is that um, we serve a God that is sovereign and faithful and good. And so I think just to lean into the fact that God's equipped all of us with a way that we can help. And I would encourage people who see this refugee situation here and want to do something to look in their communities at where there are refugees already in their midst and serve them and love on them the way they wish that they could reach out to those here. And that would make a big difference. Um, to them and I think would show the world and everywhere that we are that, you know, Jesus is the reason for our hope and uh, indeed is good news. Well, that's, that's great encouragement, Tina. Thank you for that. As scripture says, folks, we, we, we encourage you to go out and do good to all men and women and especially to those of the household of faith. Let's hold up our brothers and sisters and all that are suffering in this crisis in prayer and look for opportunities to make a difference in their lives. We'll resume with more on our podcast about uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill and continue those conversations. Thank you for listening to this important interruption into that series to talk about some things that are 
or uh, need our attention. Blessings, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.